Everyone needs a pastor. A visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and help from those with proven experience in Christian service. We want you to be part of the program during the 30 minutes ahead. To visit the pastor's study today, text your question at 516-367-0391. Again, that's 516-367-0391. Now welcome to today's Visit to the Pastor's Study with Pastor Bill Shishko. And I am your host, Pastor Bill Shishko. We invite your calls. If you're listening on Saturday, live call-in number is 631-955-5400, 631-955-5400. If you want to be live on the program on Saturday, any other time in the week, text questions, as you just heard, 516-367-0391, and we get your questions, put them together for future programs. Well, it was on a previous visit to the pastor's study that we thought together about how the world is different because of what we commonly call Christmas, that glorious event in which the God-man who'd been conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit nine months earlier, in which the God-man was born into the world as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world. What did it mean that his birth ushered in an era of good tidings of great joy, which would be to all people. Well, you can go back to the archives of A Visit to the Pastor's Study on our own website or sermonaudio.com and find the answer to that, at least as much as we could cover in 26 minutes. Now, for this program, I want to do the same thing as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an event in human history that we celebrate yearly on what we commonly call Easter Sunday. On that day, we give a special remembrance to the first day of the week nearly 2,000 years ago when the tomb in which the dead Jesus had been placed on the previous Friday was found empty. And Jesus was found, very obviously, alive. And you can read about that at the end of each of the four Gospels, the first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus Christ, who was crucified and who died on Good Friday, was resurrected from the dead on the following Sunday morning. But so what? What difference does the resurrection of Christ make? Well, the easiest answer is that this is proof that Jesus did what no other religious teacher had ever done or ever will do. All other religious teachers had died and will die throughout human history. Jesus died, but the grave couldn't hold him. And you simply can't refute that evidence. He was seen by all the apostles, including by the Apostle Paul sometime later than the events given in the Gospels, and by over 500 people at one time, so we're told in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. His resurrection body was touched he ate with his disciples. This wasn't a phantom of people's imagination, and it wasn't, it wasn't Casper the ghost. This was a man who was miraculously raised from the dead by his own power and by the power of God the Father and by God the Holy Spirit. The New Testament ascribes the fact of Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead to all three persons of the Trinity. Christ's resurrection was also the great sign that his Good Friday sacrifice, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament Passover lamb, had been accepted. 
In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 4 and verse 25, he writes that Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions, that is, he was delivered to death as the great sacrifice for human sin and to take the place of sinners, and he was raised for our justification. Justification is a legal word that means to be declared not guilty. Jesus paid the full price of hell itself for all the sins of all of his people and all those who wrap themselves up in his sacrifice by faith alone. I mean, there's nothing we can do to add to the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. All those who cast themselves on Christ in simple faith receive the benefits of his full payment for sins. They are justified by faith because of Christ's accepted sacrifice. They are accepted in him. That's the heart of the gospel, and I hope that your heart rests in that heart. And Christ's resurrection is also called the first fruits of those who sleep, that is, who die resting in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read about this in the Bible's great chapter on Christ's resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. First fruits is an agricultural term, which is why it sounds foreign to so many of us. It refers to the first sheaves of grain, or the first ear of corn, or the first of any crop that was, if you will, a preview of a whole harvest to come. To those of you who trust in Christ as your Savior and your Lord, and I want all of you to be people with that faith, Jesus is the first of the crop of people who will be resurrected from the dead on the last day of human history. And what a, what a comfort that is to those of us who've experienced the death of loved ones who've trusted in Christ and what a comfort it is for you who believe in Christ as your Savior and Lord when you approach your own deathbed. The resurrected Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the great harvest of all of his people on the day of his return in glory. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also the source of what we commonly call the new birth the work of God's grace in which he raises us from the spiritual death that is ours by nature and literally gives to us the new life of the resurrected Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in the second chapter of the New Testament book of Ephesians says to the Christians of that church in Asia Minor that while by nature they were dead in trespasses and sins, God's rich mercy and love reached to them, and even when they were dead in their trespasses, made them alive together with Christ. That's the meaning of salvation by grace, the Apostle Paul says. The objects of God's gracious mercy and love are literally raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. All that, we read in the previous chapter of the book of Ephesians, is in connection with a faith that is granted according to God's great power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand far above the heavenly places. Well, that's rich stuff, <laughs> and I would urge you to read this whole magnificent section in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. I don't think there is a more awesome statement of what God's grace and the Christian faith are all about 
in any other place in the New Testament. Christ's resurrection from the dead is a picture of what God does in the life of each of his people, and it's a preview of coming attractions, a picture of what will happen at the last day of human history, ushering in an eternity of resurrection life in the new heavens and the new earth. Wow, that, folks, that's amazing grace. No wonder we sing so triumphantly on Easter Sunday. Of course, we should well, we should really do that every Sunday because every Sunday is, among other wonderful things, a celebration of this great victory over sin and death by and in and through the resurrected Jesus Christ. But is the world different because of Christ's resurrection? In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the world has the grand evidence of the uniqueness of this person. No mere teacher, but the God-man, the Redeemer of his elect. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the world has God's declaration that this one who was sacrificed is the one and only acceptable sacrifice for sins. The empty tomb is God's great megaphone saying, this is proof that my son's sacrifice is the place and the only place for your forgiveness. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the world has a glimpse of what will happen at the last day of human history and what will happen particularly to the Lord's people who've died in the faith that truly rests in him and in him alone. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the world sees a pattern of the work God is doing as by the Holy Spirit, the agent of new creation, he saves his people from their sins. But... Is the world itself any different because of and since the day of Christ's resurrection on that first Easter Sunday? Could it be that the resurrection of Jesus Christ ushered in a whole new age? Would it be right to call the period following Christ's resurrection from the dead the true new age movement? Pastor Ben Miller serves as pastor of Trinity Church, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church located in Syosset, Long Island, New York. And in a recent sermon, Pastor Ben made some most intriguing references to how the world is different because of Christ's resurrection. And, and Pastor Ben's uh, throwaway comments, if I, I may put them like that, they're often richer than many entire sermons that I've heard. And so I wanted him to develop that point more. He didn't do it in that sermon, but I've snagged him uh, to do just that on today's program. Whether people individually or as families are Christians or not, how is this whole world different because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Well, I invite your questions. If you're listening on Saturday, call 631-955-5400, or you can text your questions anytime, 516-367-0391. We'll be back with Pastor Ben Miller on how the world is different because of Christ's resurrection after this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study. 
It's not enough to listen to pastors on the radio or to watch them on television. Everyone needs a biblically faithful pastor and everyone needs a biblically faithful church. A Visit to the Pastor's Study is a ministry of the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in the metropolitan New York area. We're no substitute for a faithful pastor in a local church, but we are a supplement. Visit our website, www.visitthepastorsstudy.org, and you can bring the ministry of this program right to your electronic device. Here you'll find archives of past programs, a weekly message from Pastor Bill's Pastor's Post, helps for pastors, helps for congregation members, material for officer training, and much more. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. And we also invite you to contact the host of this program, Pastor Bill Shishko. You can email him at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. He'd love to hear from you so that he can bring his pastoral ministry to you personally. That's visitpastorbill.com. Bill at gmail.com. Remember, everyone needs a pastor. And now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. I'm your host, Pastor Bill Shishko. Welcome again today, Christ's Resurrection. So what? Your text questions anytime in the week, 516-367-0391, or you can call my study at 516-593-1507, or you can email me at Visit Pastor Bill, that's all one word, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Pastor Ben Miller, thanks for being my guest again today. My pleasure. Good to be here. All right, Pastor Ben, here you go. Where, where in the Word of God do you learn that the whole world is different because of Christ's resurrection from the dead? I think it's important to notice in the New Testament that the resurrection of Jesus is always um, closely connected to his ascension, his um, ro- being seated at the right hand of the Father and reigning from the right hand of the Father. And you have this, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul talks about the fact that Christ was raised and seated, and that that's the movement. So the, the resurrection is actually the beginning of what we call the exaltation of Christ or the kingdom of Christ, this reign of our Lord that um, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, where he's talking about the resurrection, he, he, he says that the reign of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, will culminate ultimately in the destruction of the, of the last enemy, which is death, when we are resurrected as Christ was resurrected um, as the first fruit. So, so I, think, I think tying those things together is important, because then, then we can go back, to, say, to a book like Daniel, which... Where, where, especially Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel's given a vision of the coming of that kingdom, that mes- kingdom of Messiah. And it, it's interesting that he sees this vision of four pagan kingdoms leading up to the arrival of that kingdom of Messiah, uh, the head of gold, Babylon, and then uh, Medo-Persia, and then the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, and then finally Rome. You see those depicted as parts of this image of gold. You see them later depicted as beasts. But these four, these four empires lead up to the, the arrival of this uh, kingdom of, of the Messiah. Um, and this, this little kingdom, this little stone, cut out of a mountain without hands, that strikes the feet of the image, and, and it, it brings to an end, Daniel prophesies, it will bring to an end all of those world-dominating pagan empires and their gods. Um, it's interesting to tie that together with 
the book I'm preaching through right now, which is Hebrews, where we're told that there's a curious reference in chapter 2 uh, to angels, that the, the world to come, this new world that, that has been inaugurated with the coming of Jesus, it's not subject to angels. Well, back in Daniel, angels are princes over various nations. You have the prince of Persia and the prince of, of, of Greece, and then this one particular prince associated with Israel, Michael. And, and so there, there's a lot of kind of angelic authority exercised in the old world, and, and there's a real contrast in Hebrews where those angels, those angelic beings, are no longer uh, in, the, in the place of authority, or if they are, they're under Christ. He's been seated above all the powers. So I think, I think that gives us a, a, a framework. Um, now the world, uh, this new world, uh, is not subject to these angelic princes who ruled over these pagan nations. It's subject to the God-man seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ. He rules now over the world as God and man, as the Messiah. So in, in the sermon that you referenced, I, I was just trying to think a little bit about, with that biblical background, as a practical matter, is that what we see um, 2,000 years after Christ? And I, and I, think, I think we do. I, the point I made was that, practically speaking, there, there's, there's no possibility now of going back to pre-Christian, pre-Messianic, pagan gods, pagan empires, pagan philosophies. And I, and I think just, you know, looking at the, at the history of the world since Jesus, so, so Rome, you had Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, then Rome. Rome was the, the biggest and most powerful of those four empires. But when Rome fell uh, in, in the late 5th century, um, what emerged from the carcass of that last great pagan empire was not another form of paganism. Um, all the old gods, you know, the, the Greek gods, the Greek pantheon, the Roman pantheon, those gods went into the dustbin of history, which is an amazing thing to think about, because they were, you know, they, they dominated the world scene at one time, but they, they disappeared into the dustbin of history. And it's also true that after Rome fell, nothing like those ancient pagan empires ever arose again, sort of world-dominating pagan empires. What, what emerged from the carcass of Rome was actually a Christian influence, carried largely by missionaries early on, but eventually organized into um, church and, and political structures, a Christian influence that spread to the ends of the earth. I mean, we're having this conversation now in North America, of all places, and it's still going on today, this spread of the Christian faith, and, and, and what that Christian influence eventually generated was what we now know uh, loosely, I guess, as kind of like Western civilization. I know that sort of a loaded term, but what we call the West is really, it emerged from the spread of Christianity, right down to the way we order our time, right down to the fact that it's still, you know, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Just the very sense of time in the West has always been driven by the, by the Christ event. And just to give one, you know, one example of how there's no going back, you just think about ancient pagan philosophy. So Plato and Aristotle were clearly the the princes of ancient pagan philosophy. There's no way to even talk about Plato and Aristotle now, those giants of pagan wisdom, without talking about how their ideas were refracted through the thinking of Christian theologians and philosophers, obviously Thomas Aquinas being a, a, a massive example. Um, the wisdom of ancient paganism was taken up into the Christian thought world and story, and it's, it, there's no going back to 
Platonism or Aristotelianism, for example, in its sort of pure form, because it's now been been kind of taken up into Christian thought, and it comes to us now in that in that form. What kind of got me thinking about this um, was an article by David Bentley Hart called Christ and Nothing, where he, he has these few lines that, that really stood out to me. He's talking about how today, if you wanted to turn away from Christianity, you couldn't go back to paganism. You could only turn inward on yourself. And he says, our sin makes us feeble and craven, and we long to flee from the liberty of the sons of God. But where can we go now? Everything is Christ's. The Christian God has taken up everything into himself, all the treasures of ancient wisdom, all the splendor of creation. Every good thing, that, every good thing has been assumed into the story of the incarnate God. And that's just, you know, I think that's, I think that's empirically verifiable, actually, as you look at history, that that really is true. Yeah. So, if you could do it very quickly, what difference should that make to us? Well, I think for one thing, it should make us want to study history <laughs> Good um, and just see all the works of Christ, you know, beyond just his individual work of saving us from our sins, to see how um, he has shaped history and to read history as an unfolding of his works as the, the reigning king. I mean, if nothing else, that it should make us do that. And... Yeah, your point about Anno Domine has always fascinated me. We can't get away from that. Uh, we, mm. we use the term BCE, Before Common Era, which really is kind of meaningless. <laughs> what does that right. mean? Because it was Christ that ushered in that era, yeah, right? I mean, exactly. And, and I, actually, I actually think that, you know, observing in some form, which is what you're doing with this program, observing in some form this, this Christian calendar celebrating Advent on through Easter yeah. and Sure. And, uh, it, you know, to Ascension and Pentecost is one way that we remind ourselves that time really has been definitively marked, irreversibly marked by our Lord. Amen. You can see why uh, in the interim before my wife and I were involved in the current church we're doing now, we, we're so blessed by worshiping at Trinity Church, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Syosset. you got about 30 seconds, Pastor Ben. Tell us a little bit about Trinity Church. Well, it's a place where the Lord has just been working very kindly among us now for almost eight years, and we would absolutely love to have anyone in the area come visit us on any Lord's Day. You can check out our website at trinitychurchlongisland.com. So, hope we'll see you. And your worship service at 1 o'clock? Yes. A p.m. That's and correct. The, and the address? Uh, it's at 231 Jackson Avenue in Syosset, New York, and uh, it's not too—you can find it on the website as well. So, yeah, come oh, and join us. Great. We'd love to have you. It's a, it's a happy place. With uh, the Lord's people. Amen. So. It is, it is, it is. I urge you to check out the website and Pastor Ben's preaching. We have been blessed to be under this dear brother's ministry. Well, Pastor Ben and I are, are certainly on the same wavelength in this council from the pastor's study today. Do take history seriously, folks. Our world is what it is because of the events of history, the discovery of America, the founding of our country, the American Revolution, World Wars I and II, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Steve Jobs. We wouldn't have iPhones without Steve Jobs and Apple and its history. You see, Americans generally don't think much about history, and that's not only literally short-sighted, it's also very foolish. Now, Take the greatest events of history with the greatest seriousness, and Pastor Miller has mentioned them here. What's Christmas all about? God came into the world. You want to know God? And you should. You owe everything to him. Learn about the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was, as we sing, born on Christmas Day. 
What's Good Friday all about? Well, here's where God's perfect justice and God's perfect mercy meet, the only place in which you can find the satisfaction of God's justice and a substitute for you is on the cross on which Jesus died and what we call Good Friday. I mean, to be very blunt, unless you want to pay the price to God's justice for your own sins, which is something we call hell, you must run in faith to the sacrifice that was really offered up on Good Friday. What's Ascension Day all about? Jesus Christ really ascended into heaven and really took the reins of power so that he now rules as the earth's king of kings and lord of lords, really. And what's Pentecost all about? The reigning Jesus Christ sent forth the Holy Spirit as, among other things, the great executor of the Godhead to begin building the church in its New Testament form and to get holy victories, establishing a kingdom of every tongue and every tribe and every nation. That's a kingdom that's going to last forever, and it's the only one that will last forever. What's the resurrection of Christ all about? Well, if you don't know that, what, that this program has done it, listen to it again. I can't overstate, though, how important Christ's resurrection is. It ushered in a whole new world. Be part of it with the legs of repentance and faith connecting your life with the life of the resurrected King Jesus. I want you to be part of that whole new world, the true New Age movement. Hey, thanks for listening today. It's a privilege to be a pastor to you. Through the medium of radio, you can check out archives of past visit to the pastor's study programs, sermonaudio.com, or our own website, visitthepastorsstudy.org. Appreciate your feedback or your questions. Visit Pastor Bill at gmail.com. Hey, Sunday's the Lord's Day. Worship in a church faithful to the Word of God. Remember, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to this week's A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York Incorporated in the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches of Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week for another Visit to the Pastor's Study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.